1: For international money transfers at your fingertips, choose Western Union, the fast and reliable way to send money to loved ones. Plus, new customers can enjoy a $0 transfer fee until October 31st when sending money online. Visit westernunion.com or download their app to get started today.
0: Services offered by Western Union Financial Services, Inc., NMLS 906983
2: or Western Union International Services, LLC, NMLS 906985. Term Supply,
0: FX Gain Supply.
2: Hello and welcome to episode
0: 112
2: of <laughs> So in this episode I'm talking to Matthew Donohue, who directed and wrote a film that I was part of and was shot in Kansas City Last uh, last year, about a year and a half ago, and uh, but it's going to be shown at the Carlo International Film Festival on the sixteenth of November, or the fifteenth, possibly as well. Uh so so uh, this interview that I did with him and some of the actors that were in the film, that uh, feature film that was shot in uh, Kansas City was recorded back then when we were actually shooting the film but I thought it would be a good time to uh, put it out now um, uh, the film is called Wretch and it's a psychological horror movie and uh, we'll be talking a lot more about it during the uh, podcast so there's no point in me explaining everything is there but uh, yeah it's going to be shown on actually uh, the 16th Yeah, of um, November at the Carlo uh, International Film F- Film Festival. And also I'm going to uh, possibly do a showing of it in Dublin uh, on the 17th of November. I'm still looking for a little venue where I could show it possibly in Chennai. But uh, I'll tell you more about that. Anon. Okay, uh so what day is it? It's the 3rd of November so uh, just a quick word before I uh, play this interview uh, if you're in Edinburgh I'll be in Malone's in Edinburgh on the 8th of November and in Glasgow I'll be in Malone's in Glasgow on the 9th of November uh, if you're not going to be out there and the 15th of November I'll be, in the, I'll be with Patrick Macdonald in the Asgard Theatre in Arkelo, and also um one more gig. Blake's in the Hollow up in Enniskillen on the 23rd November. But particularly I would like to say just before this interview. I'll be doing a show on the 11th of January in the Helix. Which I want to f- film. And you can help me to film that. By going uh, going on my website or, or on my Facebook. And you find that there's a crowdfunder for that. But you just buy tickets basically for the show on the 11th. It's called the 11th of January it's called Shut Your Cakehole and it's an hour of uh my best stand up that uh, I've done over the last good few years and uh I I want to uh, shoot it and film it for um, well for posterity but to put it out there online and uh and just to have it recorded. Um, yes, yeah, so that's it. Now, here we go. This is uh, Matthew Donahue. <laughs> it's been a pleasure working with you on this film just wanted to talk to you about your just general how this came about but you, you've started off in the music business so how did you how did that happen
3: I was never able to scrap a lot of business out of it it was a, a ton of music a little bit of business um, yeah my 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 first two loves outside of uh, Sesame Street and uh, my cousin were music and acting. So I started playing in bands in high school and started acting in high school and then it got to a point where I felt like music was the thing that I was probably the most interested in doing and uh, always put bands together always started a tour <clears throat> started a tour with bands had tours and records and, yeah, and then had a very terrible band break up in Kansas City and mm. uh <laughs> and then moved to New York and tried to play music there also but also got back into acting and then wrote material for the stage and then directed actors for the first time as a grown up and then but j- just going back to the music though but you, ter- yeah, so sorry, you you toured yeah, um <laughs> Yeah. Quite a lot around yeah. around
2: America. What kind of music were you doing?
3: Uh, yeah, I always... I think we toured a fair amount. I always wanted to tour more because I think tour is an amazing thing, being in a new city every night and meeting new people every night and, and just focusing on what you love to do every day for two, three, four weeks at a time. But um, yeah, I, I, I guess like the stuff I was interested in early on... I mean, I think my musical evolution went Def Leppard, Metallica, Nirvana... Allison Chains, Sunny Day Real Estate, Brian Eno, Talking Heads, um Stefan Grapelli. I always loved jazz music, but um it was just kind of hair rock and then it was uh grunge. Pretty much hair rock and metal to grunge and then grunge to like artsier stuff, weirder stuff. Um but my record collection, I have, a, I have a pretty good album collection, I think, and I have a ton of different stuff in there. I've always loved jazz music, and Kansas is a good town for jazz, but I've all, only ever played rock music, and I never had any formal guitar training, just, you know, bedroom aspirations. And I took guitar lessons for about six weeks mm. in eighth grade, and that's the extent of my formal training. I still can't read music, and it, I can never sit and jam with anybody because I have no idea what I'm doing. But I can compose tunes in my head, and put a beat down and i've been doing that for a long time released several records i've toured mostly before i moved to new york but um so often. what are, what are the records uh the so the first band was called proud and tall then there was a band called doris henson that was the band that was supposed to be my band forever and then that band broke up and i moved to new york and i started a band called baby teardrops and then i had a project called ecstatics and then i moved back to kansas city and had a project called loose park and then i have a project now called slights and we have a record that we recorded a year and a half ago in san francisco but we haven't released it yet and i definitely don't have the capital to do that now but maybe we'll be able to put that record out before too long slights slights yeah. and how long has
2: uh, this project been in your head, mm-hmm. Retch?
3: Retch has been in my head for uh, two and a half years. Okay. Um, it really—I can remember the, the moment that it incubated yeah. and that it was conceived. Was conceived? <laughs> uh, it was slimy. Um <laughs> it started squirming around um, two and a half years ago.
2: Yeah. And uh, what was the inspiration for it?
3: Um, the inspiration for it was when uh, I moved home to Kansas City from New York. Um, well, I'd been here for a bit, but my mom got diagnosed with ovarian cancer and stomach cancer. And I had uh, learned something in New York City called Reiki. I had um, a friend who uh, had Reiki sessions for me because she was training, and and it resonated for me. I actually enjoyed it and felt like there was something to it, something in it for me. And um, I was given the opportunity to take classes and kind of learn how to quote unquote do it, mm-hmm. and. Um, so uh, when I came home, I had aspirations to set up like a, in my friend's clinic and give Reiki sessions for people just to kind of learn and train and maybe get to a point where it' was something I could offer in the community. I love the idea of being able to have a, um, a trade in the healing arts without having to go to college for it. Um, and I realized at the same time that that, that was kind of a, uh, um, kind of tricky, you know, because uh, well, there's a whole lot of feeling. And, and a fair amount of literature on, you know, non-traditional, non-Western healing modalities and their place in contemporary American medicine. Uh, I know that Reiki is part of um, cancer care in in fifteen percent of hospitals in America right now. Um, but you have to be a nurse practitioner, or you have to have some kind of, you know, real accreditation. But I know that more nurse practitioners are, are, are experimenting with different forms of complementary care. That idea was always very appealing to me. Um, uh, so I thought I could do a little practice and I wanted to be able to offer it for my mom while she was being, going through treatment, you know, to help counter effect the, uh, to help counteract the effects of the chemotherapy and the and the fraying of the nerves and the pain from that. And, you know, it was just kind of a best-case scenario sort of situation. But ultimately, it, it wasn't something that she was comfortable with, I don't think. And her friends, her spiritual friends, her friends from that she has, and my parents are Catholic, and I was raised Catholic, and, um, you know, she told my mom to f- think of the cancer as a demon inside her body. And I remember thinking or feeling that that was a scary idea um to demonize the illness in our body to demonize our bodies in that way because you know cancer is a proliferation of cells it's it's unchecked cellular growth and it may be a foreign entity it may be something that's not of you but also in a way it is of you and so i kind of thought like taking a hardcore adversarial position towards your body and what was going on in your body just seemed to me to be kind of a sad way to look at illness and mm. and you know everybody has to deal with it on their own and um with the belief structure that they are able to approach and um you know so i i you know i v- didn't push it for her and uh, mm. um only did a few more sessions and then honestly like I went to another Reiki workshop in Kansas City, and it was such a joke. It was such a, it was a really, for me, I thought it was a very unsettling and huckstery sort of situation where we were blessing a cucumber in the kitchen with a pendulum and then sorting through aromatherapy order forms and i was like oh this is the this is the tupperware side of of uh the healing arts and um and she had this little guy with her and he wore all these medallions and it was really it was really uh kind of taking things in a in a very like cartoonish direction and I thought there was kind of something insidious about that, too, because there were a lot of people at this session who really wanted to believe in something. And I I think, like, people have a hard time finding things to believe in and finding a place to be, um, you know, uh, feel safe. And I don't think that that desire should be preyed upon. You know, I really, really, really don't think that desire should be preyed upon. So... You know, predation, based on manipulation, is something that I'm very keyed into and definitely want to represent in the work that I make. But, I mean, that's a long way to say that's that's the genesis point for the story. Yes.
2: So, I mean, in, in a way, it's about... Well, it's a horror movie as well, but it's about different belief systems being... that you can't really trust any belief system well
3: it's 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 a it's a it's a um extrapolation on the idea of being um of the pain that can come when your belief systems fail you Mm. and also um just the peril that we put ourselves in in having (laughs) beliefs to begin with Mm. you know because uh because um you know we don't always get the results we want based on the things that we try to believe and then we try to rationalize it when Mm. you know and Uh, And it's also about, like, people who do take the time to see through things they believe in. Like, um, you know, Aaliyah hangs in there to the very end in support of her friend. And, you know, for, uh, I mean, I don't know how much I can get into the movie now or the topic of this particular story. But, yeah, I mean, that, that as a horror film, it's about and i asked myself what 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 am i what what am i afraid of you know what scares me and i think the the um specter of cancer um with three people in my immediate family with cancer and i you know i've been checking my testicles and my body and skin forever and i've had friends that have died from cancer you know and uh And it affects so many people. I'm like, you know, and I kind of, like I told you earlier, I thought thought maybe that I would disguise that in the film as some kind of, like, nebulous illness or whatever. And then I was like, no, it's cancer. That's what it is. And I'm just going to call it like it is. And I know other filmmakers have made films where it probably has been cancer specifically, too. But I wanted to sort of, like, take that kind of monster movie vibe and apply it to something that's real and also in our lives it's real but it does feel kind of cartoonish at certain times as well Mm. Um, so hopefully that 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 balance is struck here I mean it's it's fantasy but it's based in reality whatever you know and I, I, I honestly I feel like the reality of it is quite fantastical you know it's such a it's such a it's an unknown thing it's a very, very confusing. I mean, I just think we're 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 so bullied often by our bodies and our relationship with our bodies, and um, it can be such a confusing thing.
2: Um, have you ever done um, magic mushrooms?
3: <laughs> no, no, I never have uh, taken any uh, hallucinogenics or psychotropics at all. Um, I was given mushrooms for my seventeenth birthday, and then I was told the same night not to do them. By somebody who I think knew me well, and uh, probably could uh, see that I was too sensitive to take it well. Yeah, I don't even I, I, I can't even handle pot or alcohol, so I, mm. I I probably don't have any business doing mushrooms. But the answer is no, I haven't done.
2: Oh, okay. I'm just uh, the reason I ask you is that there's a tendency now to use LSD and magic mushrooms uh, in in a in a supervised manner. To uh, the used with cancer patients actually, and they and they have more positive. These are terminal patients actually, and a more positive attitude towards death. Death mm-hmm. and they, they be, because it's quite depressing knowing that you're going to die. I suppose for most people, know knowing that you have a very short time to go. Mm-hmm. Um, also for addiction as well.
3: I figured that would probably be the time that I would try it if I knew that I had a certain amount of time to live and I was interested I I would try try it but for me it always feels like what I'm trying to get back to after you know part of the reason why I had to quit drinking is because I've always had depression and anxiety issues. if you have to give it a name depression and anxiety if you have to call it something Mm -hmm. maybe it's the brain not some kind of serotonin brain phenomenon I've never had any kind of psychiatrist or psychologist give me a a explanation or diagnosis to my own satisfaction but i'm content being a psychonaut in the sober now and trying to get to a middle ground that is not destructive and enjoyable you know what i mean mm-hmm. i've never felt like i needed to like push my reality beyond the fucked upness that it currently actually is at any given time in just normal waking life you know and maybe that's just me being naive, and, and it's just not for everybody. Yeah, probably. But I've got friends that have been going on ayahuasca, you know, uh, retreats and, you know, being led through this ceremony with a shaman and pooping on themselves and throwing up and seeing giant rubber baby buggy bumpers and candy bars and stuff and just, like, having these trip-out sessions and taking meaning away. And the shamans tell them, yeah, yeah, you got to come back for four more and you'll be... You'll be transcended. You'll transcend all your junk, like that. I, but but to me, it doesn't seem any different than like you need to have this pair of jeans, you know, like you need to have oh, really? these sneakers, you know, to be to be good enough, to be better, to be the you that you're supposed to be, and that's part of the world of uh, self improvement and self help, and um, you know, it, I think it's always kind of. We're, we're really obsessed with looking beyond the good that's in us and maximizing the good that we currently have at our disposal and kind of dangling that amazingness carrot in front of everybody. Um, or perhaps uh, uh, people think, or people feel now
2: that they should be happy, that they, they're owed happiness.
3: Mm. Do you think that's what it is? Well, I think that's one of the reasons why I, I get really super nostalgic about the music that I grew up with when I was a teenager. I mean... I, I, I kind of joke now that, like, the grunge that I was listening to made it okay to feel bad, you know? Mm. Whereas now I feel like young people probably feel like they have to be assertive and cool. Um, and I don't know if that makes any sense, but to me it, it makes sense. Like, the music I was listening to, it resonated for me because it was people talking about not feeling okay, you know what I mean? But they were kind of thrashing through it, you know? And, I mean, a lot of those people are dead, you know, Kurt Cobain and Layne Staley and Chris Cornell. But... Um.
2: But for me, it was the Smiths and, uh, you know, the lyrics. I was happy in the haze of a drunken hour, but heaven knows I'm miserable now. And it was great to know that you could hear somebody on the, well, like we'd see the program called Top of the Pops come on and sing something about being miserable. And Mm -hmm. it actually made you feel better. To know yeah. someone else was miserable.
3: Yeah, people have always said you listen to sad songs when you're feeling sad to feel better, you know. And mm. I don't really know. I mean, I, maybe there's a lot of sad music out there still, or music that's cathartic in a different way. But I, I feel like everybody, young people especially, people who are in their late teens and early twenties, kind of now have the obligation to be presenting themselves as on point t- two four seven and Taking Instagram pictures that show the glossiest profile and putting the filter on—I mean, everybody knows it's nothing profound, but I think it's, I think it's pretty serious. And this, I guess, is to say that the stuff I write, or the stuff I'm interested in writing, is for people who are not super amazing. I, I try to—I'm interested in making work for nice people, who take the time to deal with their, encounter their clumsiness, and and make something, become empowered through it. I, I don't really care about people who are hot shots. I don't care about super cool people or hot shot people. Those aren't my people. My my people are people who are uh, kind and also want to be art, art artsy weird, you know. They don't have to be weird, just be interested in, in art which means to me just making stuff and, and being excited to share things and excited to play um, but I'm not interested in super cool and I hope that I'm still able to make things that I think are cool and that other people think are too, but I think, you know, the most popular cool stuff has never been Instagram and Facebook and, you know, social media is, is, I think it makes people feel like they need to be cooler than they are or something, you know, or that they need to be, it just doesn't feel very, doesn't feel very comfortable. I mean, it's not, it's not for me.
2: Yeah, I'm afraid I'm, I'm slightly guilty of making myself look cooler than I am. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I, I I mean, it's it's easy to want to do, and, you know, I, I'd love to have... I enjoy having my portrait taken when I sit with somebody who is go- going to, like, care about the composition and how I'm representing, you know. And, and my friend Martin, who's in town from Montreal, for this film shoot, he came down to shoot some pictures of behind-the-scenes stuff, and, you know, he was tell me about how he shot a portrait session with a woman who was very insecure about how she represented on camera and and how he told her you know no I'll, I'll find the shot that works for you and you know I mean when you take the picture when someone takes a picture of a subject and they get it right there's something ennobling in that you know like it you kind of strike that balance between that person finding their natural place of self-assuredness and the light falling correctly and just a piece in the body, a piece in the eyes, in the face, you know, and and then, you know, what's beautiful about that subject can be represented in, you know, and not just the way that looks one of 16 different filters better, mm. you know. Um. Well, no,
2: it's a completely different thing as opposed to your your selfie pose which is what most uh, mostly I what know, you're
3: saying. I just can't handle it so I had to kind of hang it up
2: okay well listen uh, i wanna say that you've probably you probably feel a bit ragged and tired after shooting for for 3 weeks and everything but i really i'm so grateful that you cast me in this film and uh, i hope i you know i hope I did it did justice and uh, i just think you've written a great film so you know and also, you've, the casting was amazing. So, uh, well, so, apart from me.
3: <laughs> no, man. I mean, thank you. Uh, the casting was so fun for me to see come together. I mean, like I said, like the first time I worked with actors as a grown-up, casting actors for roles. You know, I was with a theater company in New York, and I wrote three one-act plays, and I got to direct one of them for the showcase we put up, and um, I really felt how much I enjoyed arming actors with. Uh, the 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 ability to go into a situation and play in a way that made them feel excited and um activated you know and so like this 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 film though like cosmically it came together um you know i mean i always wrote the character of Jean for the actress shannon conley I just always knew that that was, I want, I mean, and I, I can't tell you, I can't remember exactly when I knew that I was going to write a role for Shannon Conley, but when I started writing this story, I was like, yeah, that's Shannon.
2: So, uh, Shannon, where did you grow up?
0: I grew up in Blackstone, Virginia. Um, I actually lived in Cleveland a little bit when I was a little girl, um, from five to 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um. But then, uh, but mostly from my mom's hometown, she grew up in Blackstone. We actually lived in the in the house that she grew up in.
2: And were your parents involved in any way in the arts?
0: Yes and no. I mean, they were. uh, My mom was an English teacher and a drama. She was my first drama teacher. She was my in high school, my high school drama teacher. She started a drama club because there was no drama at our high school mm-hmm. so we had to make some <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's what we did we made some drama mm-hmm. um yeah okay. so my mom was really great that way and um yeah no my dad was not in, in acting at all but he's a writer oh
2: well that's that's arts, you know um
0: and then um uh, did you go to college i did not no i did not go to college i what i did do though is i did an internship at barter theater which Mm -hmm. is a theater down in abingdon virginia Mm -hmm. which is right at the very very far western corner of virginia by uh up in the like the blue ridge Mountains. so it's like in the mountainous area like almost to tennessee (laughs) and um uh so i did an internship there and i learned like you learn every department You know, they put you through all all the different departments and then you kind of land somewhere and I landed in wardrobe and then I was a wardrobe mistress for like three years. Uh, That's how I got to New York. Really, I did. um, So they asked me to after the internship, they asked me to stay and do um, their little tour of steel magnolias. And I did that. And so and I met all these New York actors. So they um, invited me to come visit them in New York. Mm-hmm. And um when I when I was done and I did and I never left. <laughs> yeah. I was like thank you. But then I did a bunch of tours for like they call it Straw Hat Circuit, which is the northeast, all these really darling little theaters along the coast, like a Gunkwit Maine and North Shore Music Theater, musical theater. And it's really fantastic stuff places and um and I did Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and Fiddler on the Roof. Mm. This was all as a wardrobe mistress. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, I realized I really had to get, um, I had to, I had to take the leap and stop taking the jobs because they were just coming in. I, I wouldn't, wouldn't even finish one gig. I was like making more money than my parents. I was like, I couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, I'm rich. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, like making five hundred dollars a week. And I just thought, wow, this is the most money ever.
2: <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but, but you had a yearning to be on oh, yeah. the stage.
0: I wanted to, I was absolutely all about being on stage. So yeah. I love costumes and stuff though. So it was fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed the wardrobe stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I and back then, you know, you really uh, you couldn't really wear more than one hat. And even to this day it's like you kind of backstage and on stage it's great to know how to do it and like what we're doing here with this, you know, and everyone's just kind of aware of the world mm-hmm. and, when, and all the things that need to happen. I mean, that's what was great about the education I got doing the internship, mm-hmm. was knowing all the different departments and elements that come together to make something, um, you know, to finish it and get it, uh, get it up on its feet.
2: Oh, well, do you think that's important to know, uh, know, know this business from every angle?
0: I, I have found it served me very well. And yeah. I would say yes, um, you know. But I don't. I'm. I don't. Haven't walked in everyone's shoes. Who knows? I. I think it's. Certainly seems to add to the, um, uh, at least the the sense of respect and understanding of sensitivity to each other's issues and stuff, yeah. and knowing like what the other departments are going through, mm-hmm. how they're how hard their jobs are, you know, and. Um, and, and what their needs are when they're trying to get their jobs done, like whether it's absolute quiet or whether it's a certain space at a certain time or, mm-hmm. you know, these things that sometimes people are just oblivious when they're so self-involved in their one little cog or wheel mm-hmm. and they don't really see the whole big uh, machine.
2: You went into acting after this, after?
0: Well, I came to New York to, to be an actor. I went to New York to be an actor, and um, but I i met a bunch of musicians, and I felt way more at home with them. I was really struggling with the acting community and world. Um, when I first got to New York, I just felt really overwhelmed. It was definitely then that I felt my lack of training, and I, it the fact that I didn't go to school. It was not planned. I always had intended to go to school, but uh, I had shitty grades. <laughs> So I didn't give myself a lot of options. I had really bad grades, and, and I really, I would have had to stay in community college. I would have had to stay in Virginia and go to community college, and I just could not fathom staying there one minute longer. I had to get out of that town. Mm-hmm. It was just, I just had to get out of that town, you know. Mm. So um, so I kind of went, went to New York kind of all, you know, and like shot out of a gun. I didn't really prepare myself. And... Um, I had I, I had the internship gave me some skills and stuff, but it was more mental, I would say. I think I the confidence of knowing that uh, I guess I had a degree or something, or I don't know. I I, th- I just felt like people knew stuff that I didn't know hmm. because I didn't I missed the experience. I didn't have the same experience, so I felt like they were ahead of the game, and I was um, already kind of like behind the gun. And it was, and that was self-imposed. That was me kind of, you know, it, it worked on my, on my self-esteem and my mm. confidence and my ability to do my job because I knew every department of theater, I knew how to put show up and how to, you know, but that doesn't mean I really, you know, they don't really teach you acting. There was a couple of like, I mean, we did, we did some plays and stuff as an internship, you know, mm. we, we did the children's theater. So we had a director, so we had. So we got to have some acting experience, but it wasn't the same as having classes or learning all of your history or whatever. I think I just kind of really, Yeah. Um, so it was my, my biggest regret for a long time, but then I kind of got past it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where you're like, just who knows how your life would have ended who knows? What, what, what did that make a difference? All my friends have gone, they're really like, you know what, you didn't miss anything. Now I'm just way in fucking debt and wondering why I fucking bothered. Yeah. So it's the other side of the coin is a, a lot of my friends just feel like they just, it was such a waste. And they would have much rather just gotten into working and and self-taught and, you know, gotten yeah. went for this. Because I took classes as soon as I got to New York. Yeah, you know, I was taking classes and, I, you know, I was self-teaching and, and creating my own school of life, so to speak. Yeah. I, um, I
2: wonder about, yeah, I, I haven't done acting class. Well, I mean, just like you, I've taken classes, but I haven't done yeah.
0: Um, it doesn't really matter as much, yeah. But You learn so much more by actually being on set. Or, yeah, I agree. But, I mean, getting on set, if you haven't got, you know, somebody's got to let in the door. Yeah. But nowadays, it's a DIY world. It's great. I mean, mm. this is, like, so inspiring, doing this. And, like, I can't wait to go home and, and make some content, make some stu- write, make some stories, tell mm. some stories, you know, and mm. and do something. Because I, I certainly know enough people to... Um, Pull them together. It's just about, but it's inspired me this whole experience. Yeah, to go do something too. You know, like yeah, why not I just let's just tell some stories, man. <laughs>
2: I know. Yeah, just do it and put it out there. There's maybe a fear factor that it, that, that, it, that it's, but that's the risk.
0: Well, for me, it's commitment to a uh, a uh, 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 a direction. You know, mm. like what story are you going to tell? You got to pick one because then you, you're, you're going to commit to it to mm. get it ha- to happen. I mean, Matthew's been working on this for like three to five years, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's he stayed so focused and committed to this story and the script and, you know, yeah. and just making it the best he can and making it his number one goal um, in life. And it's it takes that kind of focus and stuff. I mean, doing it yourself doesn't mean, you know, that you have to give it any less than you would if it were. You know, if somebody hired you to do it, you had to give him more. You know. Absolutely. Um, but. Um,
2: but it is a lot easier than it would have been to shoot a movie in the seventies. Yeah. I mean, well, you, you just, don't have to have film.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, it's yeah. you. You just got to be invested in the story itself. I mean, there are ways to make it to tell it once you once you decide what your t- what story you're telling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's for me is like deciding what would I want to tell. I'm going to try with a little something short. <laughs>
2: Have you read ever read that book, The Artist's Way? Yes. Yeah, that's, yes. that's a good yes. book to like, get you going.
0: Yeah, something Cameron. I want to say John Cameron Mitchell, who I love. He's my boy. Yeah. But it's uh, she has a name Cameron, something Cameron i can't remember yeah but yeah it's famous the artist way mm. yeah i've started it never finished it but i, well, did start I didn't it.
2: finish it but i did start doing the exercises yeah
0: taking out the trash like do yeah. you do the morning the morning pages yeah
2: not every not a, mm, i haven't done it a while, i need to but start I was doing, doing that it.
0: but that is a really good way to just get started because yeah. right at the top of the day you're putting pen to paper yeah and it and and, just kind and of it flushing it out. and just whoosh you know no no shame no blame Mm, no just judgment just, just blurt it all out mm. yeah so you know that's another one too you reminded me it's
2: a and good place to start When when you're doing that an idea might pop into your head then you go oh, yeah mm. exactly
0: exactly mm. now I just gotta tell my kitty cat to let me do my morning pages <laughs> you can't blame the cat say so you can wait cat <laughs> <laughs> you can't blame the cat
2: that's my book uh, title. You can't you blame can't the cat. You can blame the cat. You can blame the dog.
0: You can blame the dog, but you can't blame the cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: that's probably an improv game.
0: All <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: So do you uh,
0: sing with,
2: like you. I do. I sing, do. I sing for a living, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, mostly yeah. where I get my my uh, bread and butter. <laughs> my bread buttered. Uh, um, yep, it's uh, singing mostly in rock and roll bands. Uh, I was in an all-girl Led Zeppelin band called Les Zeppelin. I like it. For <laughs> it was awesome, mm-hmm. for like uh, almost eight years. I did that mm-hmm. for almost eight years. Super fun. Um, I, you know, I I love playing with those girls. They're just an amazing, amazing band. The music are, is amazing. It's uh, Robert Plant is. I learned how to sing, I, watching him. You know, I mean, this was definitely one of my first influences in rock and roll, and. Um, yeah, but it just kind of had to let it go. Eventually, I uh, I got cast in a Broadway show, so Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Woo! Yeah, so I did that. So it was really more like a mm. you know, um, I, I I didn't mean to let one go, but I had to let one go to embrace the other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm still tight with all those girls, so that was super fun. And now mm. I'm uh, so now I'm off the road. I did the Broadway show, then I did the national tour, um, and then when I got back, I moved um, to Brooklyn. And now I'm rediscovering, you know, what I'm, what I'm going to do, what, who I am, what all that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. oh You all, know, all the good stuff, but it's been fun, you know.
2: And, um, so we're here uh, shooting this film called Ratch. Uh, Matthew yes. Donahue wrote and is directing it. And I think yes. we're on set now. Yes. Okay. So. Well, to be continued. But to be continued. <laughs>
3: You know, and then I met Erin at a film festival in Louisiana three years ago, and I knew that I wanted to do something for her, and so I pretty much wrote Aaliyah for her, and.
2: You you live in Atlanta? Do, is that where you grew up?
4: No, I actually grew up in San Diego, California. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh,
2: that was like. Uh at school were you into you know the arts or acting or performing?.
4: Absolutely. yeah. I was uh, kind of a drama nerd in school. And then through college, I also um, studied performing arts as well.
2: Oh okay. Yeah. So from day one, pretty much you okay. were into it
4: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And um, Atlanta is that a, is, is there a scene there for acting?
4: Oh yeah, it's huge. Uh, I actually lived in L.A. first um, for a, a, a short time and knew that it just wasn't where I wanted to start my career. And uh, I started hearing through just people in the industry. <laughs> Matthew was just out the window. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Um, I just started hearing through uh, people in the industry that Atlanta was definitely where it was at. So I moved out there and I've been there now for a little over two years.
2: Oh, okay. So is there, like, a good film scene going on there? Or is it our theater?
4: It's film. Absolutely. Film, television, music videos, commercial, anything and everything. They're calling it, like, the Hollywood of the South.
2: Oh, wow. That's yeah. interesting. Um, you don't just do acting, you do directing? No?
4: I actually work as an assistant director. Hmm. Um, I am working on writing a couple of my own little shorts. Um and Mm. yeah i like to just get with friends do passion projects Mm. fun little short films when i'm not working but i also do art department too for fun okay cool yeah
2: and um what is it about la that you didn't suit you
4: gosh uh first it was the cost of living Mm. very very expensive i was living in an apartment with three other people and i didn't even have a room i was on a couch paying 400 dollars a month um plus utilities and i didn't even have a room so and it was one bathroom and it was just and i know i could have found other living you know situations but it was all just so expensive for such a small space yeah yeah. that was a big thing for me um yeah
2: and what's the life like going to auditions constantly oh
4: yeah auditions all the time what's great though now uh mm. what i find is that it's a lot of just self-tapes oh, yeah. um i go to maybe one or two in-person auditions mm. weekly mm. but um most all of them are just through uh the internet just video yeah oh, that's cool yeah
2: that's cool and how did you get involved with this uh, film wretch
4: well i met the director and writer matthew um a few years back in Louisiana, at a film festival in Lafayette, Louisiana. And he was out there representing a film that he had in the festival. And I was actually working the festival, uh, you know, ticketing and getting people in the door. And uh, we just connected and we've been in contact ever since it was about three years ago. Okay. And um, he wrote the film and called me up and asked me if I wanted to do
2: it oh, that's cool <laughs> unfortunately we're not in any scenes together really we are a little bit at the end but nothing major
4: yeah we don't get to really talk to each other at all
2: no it's a pity and you've got a lot of scenes where you're I mean there's always something incredibly weird happening yeah <laughs> when you're in a scene
4: it's true I um uh, it's funny every time I get the call sheet um the night before yeah. I read through how the day is going to go the next day and it's like Aaliyah you know screaming running aliyah traumatized scared i'm like yeah pretty much that's what i'm doing the whole time
2: <laughs> yeah uh have you done the scene where your teeth fall out
4: and- no not yet no. that is gonna be on the, my last day actually okay. the day before i fly out i get to do a scene where i lose my teeth
2: i might come down for that
4: yeah have it's gonna look. be fun
2: <laughs> have a look <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh
2: okay thanks erin thanks
4: yeah no problem
3: And then when I was working with Ronan on the Irish Film Festival, and uh, I didn't know who Pete was going to be for sure, but I just, I, I think I just saw a picture of you in something, and I was like, yeah, that, that guy's Pete. And uh, wow. but then I got to meet you in Dublin, and mm. um, and I, I, sometimes I think one of the reasons why I'm drawn to doing this stuff, and I found in the, I've made five short films before this, and I feel like on each one of those films, there was some kind of like cosmic sign that um, or assistance in a way you know or just kind of like or something that I perceived as being that anyway yeah. you know um, uh, with regard to uh, people that come up to be cast I mean I was down at a film festival in September in Wichita, Kansas called Tallgrass Film Festival which was awesome and I saw a film called Alaska is a Drag and I saw Martin Martin washington jr uh who i wound up casting as nat you know and he just you know i reached out to him i mean i thought he was amazing in that film and i reached out to him on facebook and uh you know and he was interested in reading the script and he was looking for a darker character or something you know and it was really unlike anything that he had a chance to play before so i'm very proud of him and very humbled and grateful that he accepted the, the challenge for the role. And
2: Hi, Martin. Uh, so where did you grow up? Originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay. And uh, did you always want to be an actor?
5: Well, my journey to acting began with... Um interest in music i'm a classically trained violinist and clarinetist uh first um i took up instrumental music after my older sister leslie she uh got into the trumpet and just anything that she had to do anything that she was doing i simply had to do i kind of follow in her her footsteps all the time kind of like a shadow Mm -hmm. uh the only instruments at the time that were available were the violin so that was the instrument that i ended up picking up but i fell in love with it Mm -hmm. and um i went to the performing arts high school in philadelphia as well so i got accustomed to playing in the pit and being a part of musicals and kind of longing to be up on the stage um, as a musician, just kind of watching the dance and choreography and hearing the songs and Mm -hmm. it was always just sort of an interest of mine anyway just through childhood but I never really had the gall to go after it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the interest definitely, I want to say, developed uh, a little more intensely in high school when I was at the performing arts high school. Okay, and did you go to
2: college then after
5: school? I did, I went to uh, Temple University in Philadelphia. Um, I originally set out to be an architect but the, the thrill of wanting to be an actor, it, it kind of took over and I ended up taking some acting classes and that's what kind of really kicked it into high gear, uh, me moving to Los Angeles mm. later. So the, you started acting when you were in college? Well, or... I mean, I want to say like it began kind of like in my own bedroom as a kid. Like I would, of course, reenact films and cartoons and superhero things that I'd seen and I was always, I had a crazy imagination as a child, so I feel like I was always, that was kind of my initial introduction into acting. Um mm. But I, of course, like in church, um, smaller productions that were happening in my church I would be a part of, um, usually playing like a pig or, you know, little characters uh, in like church plays like that. And um, more on a, a larger scale in high school, I was uh, finally had the courage to go out and audition to be on stage um, at the Performing Arts High School. So My Fair Lady was the very first time I actually was on stage as an actor. Um, it was fun. I played like a cockney part, which is really fun. And um, yeah, the, the interest... I kind of snowballed from there oh what's your Cockney act- accent like oh it? gosh it's terrible <laughs> any time I try to do any sort of UK if you will accent <laughs> I, it, I, it's kind of inspired by my obsession with the Spice Girls that I had like as any young gay kid was obsessing over the Spice Girls in the 90s um, mm. so it was pretty much me trying to sound like them <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, okay, I'll okay. spare your, your ears uh, right now okay I won't ask you that so you, you, did you do a lot of musicals then Um, usually as a musician but um i did do um my fair lady
2: um at the high school yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh then how soon was that you moved to la or uh, i moved to la during my i abruptly stopped in my fourth
5: year of college i had uh friends who were from california and um at the time, I was also working with someone who was planning to move to Los Angeles, and she had kind of opened the door and invited me to come along with her and her son, um, who turned out to be Jaden uh, Lieberer, who's like an incredibly like accomplished actor at this point. His career oh, wow. is on fire.
2: Yeah.
5: Um, so that's kind of a cool little anecdote for me, being yeah. able to you know be a part of that early journey, uh, watching his career start. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was in the middle of my fourth year of college, and one of my acting teachers recommended that I go out there and try out for the film industry. He thought I had a uh, potential to make something happen. Mm-hmm. And he connected me with um, a theater troupe that was in North Hollywood at the time. So I just kind of having a little bit of pieces, I felt like it was maybe, you know, something, uh, a higher calling that was kind of asking me or mm-hmm. guiding me to go after this. So that was mm-hmm. the initial seed, I
2: guess, that had been planted for me. Okay, so uh, what's it like in L.A.? I guess the whole kind of, story you hear is that it can kind of chew you up and spit you out. It can be oh, a
5: absolutely. tough... absolutely. Yeah, I feel yeah. Um, it was like seven years of being chewed up there. Um, mm. I love the fact that I was invited to as many auditions as I was, but I definitely didn't feel like I had the confidence because I was so green. You know, I didn't really have the experience in Philadelphia of auditioning, so like my introduction to auditioning was just doing the auditions in Los Angeles, so mm. I didn't really have much of a, a, of a toolbox, if you will, to kind of, you know, that I was able to access, so Mm. um, Do you you mean uh, a particular skill of doing a good audition? That, that and just, you know, the just being confident in the realm of theatre and acting in general you know what I mean, I I didn't feel like it was my biggest strength, music was definitely what I was trained on, it's Mm. what I took private lessons on, I didn't really uh, feel like I carried the same capacity when it came to acting, Um, I just
2: knew that there was like a an
5: affinity for it that I've always had Mm -hmm. but, um
2: and did you fi- like, because I'm, obviously, I'm not a full-time actor, but I've been auditioning on and off for years, and I thought when I was young, I really took it to heart. Rejection didn't, su- doesn't suit anybody, but I, I, I found it tough. Definitely.
5: Um, I was rejected quite a bit, of course. Um, I lucked out and did get a few opportunities. I worked more commercially than I did theatrically, but I did luck out with a few short films and feature films. But I definitely worked a lot more commercially. Um, mm-hmm. So that you know, kind of gave me my initial building of confidence, feeling like I could land a job, uh, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, I, I didn't feel like I had the training under my belt that a lot of the other actors seemed to have had and the experience of just being on sets and they were younger and knowing what the ropes exactly were in that city. Mm. Um, but I'm looking forward to returning, um, mm. kind of strengthening my own skill set and, and, and trying it again.
2: Yeah, and so you recently were in a a, a film. Oh, tell me about it. it's 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 doing the uh, festival tours at the yes, minute so uh, what's
5: that what's that called uh, it's a feature called Alaska is a Drag which mm-hmm. is uh, based on the short film of the same name or I should say the short film was based on the feature mm-hmm. it was originally a feature that was distilled into a short for um, the American Film Institute's directing and Workshop for Women mm-hmm. it's uh, written and directed by Shaz Bennett who's she's an incredible talent um, she's working on Queen Sugar right now with like Ava DuVernay and her career is kind of on fire, which is nice. Um, it's lovely to see so many women breaking into the industry and yeah. you know a lot of more opportunities and doors being open. So um, it was an incredible ride working with her for the past few years. Um, we really did all that we could to make this movie happen. We had a Kickstarter um, after the successful run of the short. It won a few awards, played in hundreds of festivals. Definitely got me, um, I want to say, gave me a little bit of experience of interacting with people in the industry and learning what it meant to be an actor and how to sell yourself in a project. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I definitely that that experience is priceless. Uh, the future was an incredible experience. We had a successful Kickstarter, got some investors involved, and we were able to get um, Margaret Cho, uh, Matt Dallas, uh, Christopher O'Shea, Maya Washington, who's a huge YouTube sensation, um, some uh, Jason Scott Lee, um, Adam Tomei, a lot of cool um, veterans that are in the business. So th- for me, it having the lead role in you know my first feature project it was an exciting experience for me for sure
2: that's amazing and you speaking of youtube you have your own youtube channel i do it
5: started out with me doing videos on facebook essentially to kind of keep my family and friends abreast to what was happening with me since i was moving across the country having never even visited los angeles before mm-hmm. um and i just felt like eventually youtube was a place to kind of keep everything succinct and in one place and then i learned that you could essentially kind of build a brand there so that's mm. kind of what inspired me to keep all the videos there and um i garnered about like twenty-five thousand supporters or maybe a wow. bit more um a lot of people were kind of just supportive of my vision that i had for myself of mm. moving out to la and becoming a star whatever <laughs> it is that i thought i was doing or think i'm doing um but okay. yeah and
2: I, if people want to watch that
5: they go to that's youtube.com this is martin jr don't judge me i was a young kid who just happen to have a camera in front of them. So oh, I'm yeah. looking forward to coming back in a mature and professional manner. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. And so anyway, we're working together on this film, Wretch. How did you get involved yes. in it? Well, Matthew actually, the director, Matthew Donahue, um, who's the writer and director of this film, Wretch, um, a new psychological horror that I'm very excited to be a part of, he discovered me through Alaska's a Drag at the Tallgrass uh, Film Festival. So he's a curator of his own festival uh, in Kansas City, and I guess he's a frequenter of other festivals. Mm -hmm. And he enjoyed my performance there. And he had me in mind for the character Nat, which was incredibly complimentary and uh, complimenting. I, I never expected to work, um, as I told you a little earlier, that I'm on a bit of a hiatus from acting. I mm. consider this year a bit of a break for myself, mm. um, just to be with family, make some money, save. You know, Los Angeles is an expensive city. Mm. Uh, but getting that message and call from Matthew was definitely a compliment and, and a very welcomed, um, unexpected opportunity. So that's how it came about. That's cool. Yeah. I, would, I would think things
2: are taking off for you with these two feature films.
5: I'm so grateful. I mean, I could, mm. I never would have imagined when I decided to leave Philadelphia and make it out to LA that I'd have two lead roles in feature films. I definitely never, mm. I mean, it's, of course, I, I longed for it. I wanted to do that and have the opportunity, but that, to actually yeah. have it come into fruition and manifest has been really exciting.
3: Mm. Well, it's a pleasure working with you, Likewise. Martin. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I didn't go to didn't take any kind of screenwriting classes and, uh, you know, now, like, there's a lot of YouTube tutorials you can watch and a lot of education you can get for yourself out there. I didn't read any books. You know, I'm pretty really mm. terrible at reading educational books, but um I really just kind of worked on the story idea for, uh, you know, about a year, a, a year and change before I even tried to write the screenplay. Because I didn't want to get wed to anything in a screenplay that I wasn't going to be able to separate myself from later if I needed to, you know? Mm. So I hashed out the story first before working on the screenplay but as you know I hope that this screenplay will resonate for people and I hope that it means that I uh, should have the the uh, uh, I should feel after it's done like it's something I want to try to do again and keep keep uh, learning how to tell stories in this format more effectively and in a way that is just more and more um, important yeah. for,
2: um, and I, I wanted to say just on set, I thought you did an amazing job uh, with the actors. Certainly for me, like, and I know with Aaron, I could see you working with Aaron as well and uh, Martin in just giving us the, uh, you know, just uh, making us, getting us in the right place for each scene, and and. Uh, just informing us of what, what where we were coming from you know
3: thank you that's that's I mean, I'm really happy to hear that and uh, um, I enjoy it I enjoy it very much so yeah I, I hope there's a lot a lot more opportunity and yeah this this pro, this process will go on for quite a while and then of course we hope to take the film to festivals and I have a lot of ideas that'll be fun with the soundtrack the music the score and everything I've artists that I want to um, collaborate with on uh the soundtrack and the score and um i think it's going to be a really fun part of making the film mm-hmm. It's finding the place to have you know the score and the sound world be a component of the overall picture and as a musician you know i'm particularly excited about that mm-hmm. so if anybody you know who anybody listening has made a feature before and kind of has experienced the uh the turbulence and the um, back and forth and the emotional ups and downs and stuff, you know. Like, I just kind of imagine, I hope to have the chance to go to festivals with this film and talk to other feature filmmakers and kind of, like, hear other stories from people and see what their experience has been and how they handled it, you know, and what what tips they, you know, could give as to how to most skillfully carry this sort of thing out. Because it is, it is like an orchestra. It's like conducting an orchestra for for three weeks and um, you know it's it's a crash course like it's my first time doing it it was the assistant director's first time assistant directing it was the producer's first time producing it was the director of photography's first time director of um, and a lot of PAs first times and then we had this disparity between people whose it was their first time and then we had these people that had been you know salty dogs you know people yeah. that had been through a lot of Film projects and commercial projects and they have an expectation for protocol and they have an expectation for You know uh, just how things are run and um, It's harrowing you know and it's harrowing in part because you know like financially like I mean quite honestly like the film is i I I didn't get an outside investment. I opened eight new credit cards, you know to make the film and um, You know that's just that's just like it's just faith that it will, thats something will come of it. I mean, just, that, that's, that's gambling. I could either, like, try to, like, go to casinos and maybe over, I, you know, if I'd been gambling for the last 20 years, I probably could have spent $65,000 on the slots. <laughs> you know, maybe this is me just not going to the casino for 20 years and then deciding to put it all on black and, um, you know, but my my aspiration like as far as like, you know, how money fits into what we're able to do, I just want to be able to get to a point where I can create a sustainable business of creativity and I've never been able to do that you know, music was always, I always wanted to be able to keep you said music business at the beginning of the thing, you know, and it's like, yeah I mean, we released records, you know some people bought some records somewhere Um, we did have a couple good tours where we came home with a little bit of cash, but it was never, I was never a part of the music business, really. I just was an, always an outside, you know, one of a trillion outsiders, like, scuffling around and trying to make stuff happen, and and that's fine. But, you know, I would like to be able to have a sustainable arts practice. And part of coming home to Kansas City was that I could live in an area where I would be closer to family, for one, and but for two, really have access to more affordable living and affordable cost of living and um, uh, and a community hopefully that that you can make a difference in in a different way than than I could in New York and I run that short film festival every Friday that first Friday film festival And that's been a really cool experience to get work from other filmmakers from around the world and we've had people show up for the festival and host a Q&A and make like a that's one way that I'm trying to like contribute on a on, to the scene in general or whatever you know I mean I never feel like I'm a part of any scene or group. I'm very paranoid of clubs and cliques and cool mentalities and exclusive situations. And I'm just, I'm honestly, I'm, I, I still have nightmares about being kicked out of my first band that I started. So I'm really, really, really like anti-click and club. Um, but. Uh, uh, well, look,
2: I'll <laughs> just say this. You've you've been very courageous. You've taken a jump into the unknown. I think it's amazing that you've done it. You've given a lot of young uh, Kansas City kids a first experience of working on a on a movie as well. I hope they're grateful, and I hope I'll be sitting in a, a cinema in Ireland watching it. Yeah,
3: hell yeah! We want to have a big we want to have a big Belfast bash, and we want to. We wanted to do the, do the duty in Dublin and, and those are the only two cities I really know, where else? or <laughs> Galway. Yeah, what's your
2: word for Galway? Getting um, it on in Galway? Yeah,
3: getting it groovy in Galway. Yeah, I mean getting the gold, going for gold in Galway. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go all over, all over Europe and all over the world, you know, any place that'll have us and maybe bring us to town to show the film, talk about the film. I, I just hope it's something that people want to see and something that people find uh, provocative. Evocative, engaging, challenging, scary, beautiful, all the good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you. Thanks, Joe.
2: That's good old Matthew Donahue who's there, and he'll be. I'll be seeing him in a couple of weeks, and we'll be heading off to Carlo and a couple of the actors there from the movie. It's a really good film. I can't wait to see it in in a cinema. I've only seen it on um, my laptop. So, um, and then it'll be on general release as uh, uh, next year sometime. Uh, next year, but I'm sure I'll let you know anyway. you just be jealous about fucking let you know. Are you Oh, yes oh, Um and uh, i got signed up to a an american um uh promotional company there recently uptown artist group so hopefully i'll be doing gigs in america next year as well um yeah that's it uh listen um i don't know who i'm interviewing next uh week because uh, cause i haven't done the interview yet but, uh, but when it is on, I'll, I'll let you know just right before it comes on. It'll be an incredible person. Um, I can tell you that. Uh, yeah, so thanks for listening. And you can leave a, a review on iTunes or on Spotify, I think. Probably iTunes is easier. I don't know. And uh, uh uh, and and retweet or or share the podcasts. Uh, there's a hundred and twelve of them up there now. You can get them on Spotify, and uh, yeah. Uh, also there'll be another uh podcast coming up, an improvised podcast, which uh, I've recorded four of them now, and I'll be launching that soon. It's called uh twenty four hour news hour. So uh, yeah, keep your eyes peeled and your nose unblocked so you can get a sniff of that and look at it at the same time Uh, yeah see you now
1: hey I get it I used to be the one planning my day around finding a bathroom and living in fear of an accident. I tried the pills and pads, but they just weren't working for me. If you're living like I was, it's time to find an expert physician and ask them about Axonics therapy. It's not another drug. It's an advanced therapy that is proven to provide lasting relief for overactive bladder. Still not sure? You can even try it first to make sure it works for you. You're not alone, and you don't have to put up with this anymore. You just have to take the first step towards finding real relief. Visit findrealrelief.com to find a bladder specialist. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonix therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com.